So in our study, we uh, we finished John 17 last week, so we're going to pick up in 18 uh, this week, and that's that's our our method is go through the Bible verse by verse. So uh, where we're at right now is John chapter 18. I um, I realized that Resurrection Sunday is two weeks away. Um, I was talking with Brian, and he's like, "Yeah, next." I, I said something like, "Next week." He means he goes, "You mean three weeks away, or uh, two weeks away, right?" And, uh, and I went, "Oh, yes, yes." So uh, I, I, as we're getting, uh, we're we're progressing through. We're uh, approaching. Uh, the Lord had just spent uh, John fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Uh, in a uh, dialogue and, and just just speaking and encouraging uh, the disciples because he was about to leave. He's preparing them. And then John 17, I think we spent three weeks studying John 17 because there were, uh, it's a prayer of the Lord broken down in, in three different uh, three different topics. The first was uh, his own prayer for himself his prayer for the disciples that, that were there with him, and then his prayer for those that would hear the disciples' message, you and I. So we studied that, and that's where we're coming out of when we get into John 18. So he had, he had just finished his prayer, and uh, when we pick up here in verse uh, 1 of chapter 18, when it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, so he had just talked to the disciples and then prayed, so that's what it's saying here in, in John chapter 18, verse 1. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So what we see from these two verses here is that Jesus demonstrated a regular prayer life that included his disciples. They had a special spot that they would go and they would meet. And uh, they were used to Jesus being there and uh, praying with him in this place. And and uh, Jesus would meet there often with them. So it was, it was well known. So when Judas was trying to find Jesus, he knew right where to go. And uh, what we... What we can glean from these first two verses is it's, an, it's important for us to have a regular prayer life and that our, those in our sphere of influence would understand that we have that, that we spend time alone with God in his word and in prayer, that that would be known, not, not to our glory or anything, but they would see the order that the Lord has, has, has made in our life and has put into our lives, that we can, we can be uh, examples. Imagine that. Look back at where God pulled you from, and that God not only wants to save us and establish us and, and set our feet on the rock and, and uh, on that narrow path walking with him, but he actually wants to use us to minister to others. You know, that's, that's uh, when, when I look back, uh, you know, at my life and, and what I've said, what I've done and those things and realize that God would take somebody like me and change me. And, you know, it just, just, Think, you know, reflect on that. When we uh, when we take communion together as a church, we reflect on what the Lord has done for us, right? And and we have that time of reflection uh, where we we look at the sinless, uh, the uh, the leavenless bread, the unleavened bread, uh, and the grape juice, you know, that was pressed out of a grape. 
that gives us a, 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 a reference. It sets us back to when the Lord said, remember me. You know, do this often, often in remembrance of me. It's also important for us to remember where we came from. Because that's going to, I believe uh, that uh, for each one of us, that's going to keep us at a, at a place of humility. And it's going to give us uh, the ability to minister with more grace to those and have more patience as we're ministering to people, understanding that, hey, 20 years ago, I might have been in this same spot. You know, it helps us to not have uh, what we can call plank eye, right? You know, I, I love it when Will used that example, plank eye. He's like, yep, you know, we can worry about the speck uh, in somebody else's eye. We're knocking things and people over with this huge plank flying around in our own eye. You know, we have to have to remember where the Lord took us from and, and what he's done in our lives. And that when people will see uh, that we have a relationship with the Lord, that we have a regular uh, meeting with the Lord, that we're in his word. I know for my wife, she'll sit down and she's got her books. She's got a Bible open. She's got a Bible study books and everything. And they'll be they might be out all day. You know, and she'll sit down and do those things. I'm gone to work by the time, you know, the kids are up and they've you know, I've done my thing. Uh, you know, on the weekends, they get to see me sitting at the table or whatever. And this, like I said, this isn't like a, a glorified John. It's it's that those in our sphere of influence would know where they can find us, right? That that oh, you know what? He's spending this time in prayer. He he's he or, or she's in the Word right now, and uh, that it should be evident that we've been in the Word. And hopefully, it's not evident that we haven't been. But that's sometimes how it works, isn't it? Wait a minute, what's going on here? But they knew right where to find Jesus because it says here he, that uh, in verse 2, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Verse 3, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Judas was one of the twelve. One of his disciples had walked around and witnessed everything that Jesus had done. All the, all the miracles, the, the in-depth conversations, those, those, uh, that, that were, those conversations that they had privately. And then he'd watch as thousands of people are getting fed uh, by a little boy's lunch, by a young kid's lunch. And then Jesus ministering uh, to the masses and, and speaking to them. He saw all those things. But the scripture describes Judas as a devil. Jesus called him a devil. You know, and here comes a devil, one that, that his heart, he had witnessed all these things and he'd seen all these things, but uh, uh, they, they did not have a, an effect on his heart to come to faith in Christ. So here comes Judas. He's got troops and officers, chief priests and Pharisees and you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, we could, uh, it's funny to think because they're by a brook. So if they're by a brook, there's the assumption that they're in the woods. And you think of chief priests and Pharisees, that they'd be walking with their robes, you know, carefully stepping. Oh, I don't want to get mud here. You know, I don't want to get my feet dirty and everything. And then you got the guys with the clubs and the weapons and the, and the torches that are leading the way. And he's like, slow down. We can't keep up. That was just a, it, it, as I was uh, studying through this, it, I, I wonder if that was the case. So Judas had spent a lot of time with Jesus. And and like, as I said, he had, he had seen the healings and seen people's lives restored to them. 
You know, he had seen the all the men that were ready to stone the woman caught in adultery. And he, he had heard Jesus say, he was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he watched from the oldest to youngest, they're all dropping the stones and walking away. He had seen some amazing things. He was a selfish man, was not a saved man. He walked around and uh, he, he had witnessed all these things. You know, hearing and seeing what he had seen, you'd think that he'd come to faith, but he didn't. You know, the, the, the people, as Jesus said, were sheep without a shepherd. And he saw the shepherd, the good shepherd, calling these people, restoring them. Seeing lepers that had received a death sentence, had been separated from their families. See Jesus walk up, put his hand right on them. Right? He had seen some amazing things, but it didn't change his life. Now he's there with those that are oppressing the people. He's on the other side, and he's leading them to Jesus. Those that Jesus was, was teaching against, was rebuking. He had heard Jesus rebuking them heavily. When you call somebody a, a, a son of the devil, you're sons of snakes. Those are, those are fighting words. And here Judas is walking along with them. He didn't have faith, though. So those things didn't mean anything to him. So he just went about his way, and he was too busy stealing from the treasury, right? That's why, remember, remember when the woman was anointing Jesus with that alabaster oil, right? And he's rebuking her, saying, that could have been sold, and we could have, we could have blessed the poor, and the scripture even records. It's because he wanted to steal it. He would take money. He was the treasurer, and he, want, he wanted it for himself. He wasn't worried about restoration of life. He wasn't worried about healing. He was trying to figure out where his next buck was going to come from. None of what he saw uh, meant anything to him. Nothing. Verse 4. Therefore, uh, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. A pretty tough crowd, right? Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. So Jesus knew what was ahead of him. He knew the very reason that he had come. I remember we were uh, in, in Washington State. My wife and I were uh, in youth ministry. And uh, we had taken our youth uh, ministry uh, up to a, uh, in Ponderay County. There was this camp there, and we took our kids there, and it was a kind of a collaboration with a few other churches. And we brought all the kids up, and they just had a, a week full of, of fun, Bible study, singing to the Lord, everything. And, and at night, uh, one night, and I was a pretty new youth pastor, and I was scared to death because they're like, yeah, we're going to let the kids ask questions, and we're going to have a panel, we're going to answer them. I'm like, <gasps> you know, because <laughs> these guys were all, uh, all uh, you know, seasoned pros and everything. I was kind of the new guy. And uh, this was probably 20 years ago. And I, I remember one of the questions being, 
when did Jesus find out that he was the son of God? And I'm like, oh, okay. And and I'm looking at that, and and I've just like I said, I didn't want to be caught on uh, off guard with that or anything. But well, he always knew he was. And and Jesus declared uh, all throughout his ministry that that he, he he when he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It wasn't like a light bulb went off at one point and Jesus kind of figured out who he was. Remember when he was a 12 year old boy, he's hanging out in the temple and his parents are gone three days. And they're like, oh, by the way, where's Jesus? You know, they, they lost the Savior of the world. And uh, they, they realize that they go back and sorry, it had been three days until they found him. And there he is as a young boy. And all uh, he's, he's, he's schooling all of the religious leaders on the scriptures. And everybody's sitting around like, do you hear this kid? Come listen to this kid. He knew all along who he was. It wasn't like he, it was a surprise to him. Oh, I might be the son of God. He knew. He knew he came here uh, to, on a mission. So when it says here that he knew what was ahead of him, he knew the very reason that he had came, and he had clearly spoken of these things to come. And on several occasions, he spoke that he was going to be turned over. He was going to be crucified. And uh, they just didn't get it yet. They, they, they didn't understand. No, wait, no, I can't be. No, we must be misunderstood. He's probably speaking to us in a parable or something. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out later is uh, what his disciples would think. So when they ask, you know, when, when they're coming, as they're coming, Jesus steps forward. I love that, that he steps forward and he's going to make it easy on the tough guys that are coming. You know, they've got everybody. They got uh, you know, religious leaders. There, they've got their weapons, they've got their their torches, and they've come through the night looking for uh, the guy. Where's that guy that's been healing everybody and restoring everybody's life? We're here to take him. You know, they didn't look at it that way. Religious leaders were worried about their positions, their political positions, and losing money. That they would get the the great uh, greetings in the streets as as uh, priests. They were worried. That uh, if if everybody recognized Jesus uh, as the Christ, that uh, Rome was going to come take over. So there were a lot of things there that was motivating them that were motivating them to come. And uh, I think the the biggest things were fear of losing their position, their money, and uh, they were jealous. Why are everybody following this guy, and not us anymore? I need more people to oppress. I need people to put burdens on so I can feel better about myself. You know, that, that whole group of people. So Jesus went forward, approaches the tough guys in the mob, and, uh, you know, it's, I don't know about you guys, that's kind of always how mobs work, right? Usually, I've seen on a couple occasions, pretty rough dudes step up and go, I don't care who's here, let's go. You know, I've seen that before, but usually the, the confidence comes when you got a bunch of people. Like, hey, if things go really wrong, these guys are going to bail me out, right? So they're all together, and they come up, and they're 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 uh, Jesus greets them, and he, hey, what are you guys looking for? And and you know they uh, they are are terrified of the name of Christ because when they ask, you know, we're you know we're looking for Jesus, and and Jesus says to them, I am He. What does the scripture say? They drew back and fell to the ground. I mean, those are steps back. These are guys that are armed. And they see a man coming completely unarmed and just says, yeah, I'm Jesus. They knew. They knew. They had heard the stories. And when he says, I am he, they're all dropping back and tripping over each other, right? You ever tried to walk back with a bunch of people? You're falling on each other, right? And they fell like dominoes. 
Boom. <clears throat> That's embarrassing. Yeah, you know, I wish I could have seen that. You know, just to see just all the all the confidence in the world. Maybe we'll ask God to hit the rewind button so we can can you can we see that? I don't know. That would that would have been uh, like something out of a comedy, but they're falling on each other. So they get up. You know, they're dusting each other off. Oh, yeah, you didn't see that. Nobody saw it, right? You know, those, those, those types of things. And he asks again, and I, I have to believe that they sheepishly said, Jesus of Nazareth, <laughs> right? They're probably not coming with the boldness they came at, at first, right? I think there's some fear there now because now they're, now they're embarrassed, and, he, and so there, yeah, we're, there's, I, I just have to believe there's some uh, sheepishly, they're, they're saying this. And the tone was different. And uh, the second mention of his name was a little bit different. Like, wow, what just happened? I don't know. We don't have anything in the scripture that says they were pushed down. You know, somebody can try to be extra biblical with that. No, it was their fear stepping away from the presence of the Son of God. And they all couldn't get away fast enough and they fell over. You don't even have to over-spiritualize that. They're afraid of Jesus Christ, so they're backing away. The world is still afraid of the name of Jesus Christ. They're backing away, backing away. You know, it may have been us at one point, but then when we come to faith, then we, that, then we come to Jesus, right? There's, the, there's the, the polar opposite. We come to Jesus when, when we hear him calling. You know, I'm the one you're looking for. That's when things are different, right? When we come and we fall down at his feet. These guys are falling backwards on each other, trying to get away from him. They're scared. They haven't come in faith to him. They've come to arrest him. I love that Jesus tells them that he already told them it was him. This is the second time. You imagine the looks on their faces and on, and, and on his face at this point. Matthew uh, 26, verse 55 says, In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. So that's Matthew's. So the four gospel accounts are just four written accounts of what these, these uh, brothers witnessed. You know, Mark wrote it for Peter. But these are just you know, like, you know, if, if we all saw something, you're going to see it from a different angle than I do. It's still the same thing. But Matthew includes that, saying, did, did, what are you guys doing? Why are you guys all armed? I sat there right in front of everybody publicly in front of you, and here you all are armed. So what I love here at the end of in verse 9 is Jesus interceding for the disciples to protect them. The disciples witnessed him prayerfully interceding for them in John 17. And then right after he gets done interceding for them and, and for us, he physically puts himself in front of them and says, leave these guys alone. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one you're after here. You know, he's physically and intellectually interceding for them in front of the mob. If we're facing circumstances that could be uh, scary to us or whatever, understand that Jesus goes before us. That he, he, he's the one that goes before us. He has prayed for us, that he intercedes for that, that God the Son intercedes for us in prayer, that he'll go right before us. That's powerful. He physically stepped in front of these guys and said, your business is with me. Leave these guys alone. That doesn't give you goosebumps. That just gave me goosebumps. 
I got it written down right here, and I knew it. it just it's it's the power of the Lord, the love of the Lord intercedes on our behalf. These guys were just about to they're this close to running away from Jesus. And what did he do? Step up and defend them and, and, and keep them safe. So that's our Savior. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath, into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So here's Peter putting his allegiance uh, to Christ in action. Remember when, when Peter said, I would die with you? He meant it. He meant it. He, he, Peter was an emotional guy. Uh, some of the toughest guys I've ever met in my life are also very emotional. It, it, in, in like the strong way, and they're also just break right down and just be the, 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 the toughest sissies you've ever met, right? I know guys like that. You know, they're, they're much bigger than I am, but I know in their heart they're so tender-hearted. I don't want to be on the other side of their anger when they're mad, don't get me wrong, but, but they, I, I know people like that. Peter would fit in that category. He's the guy that Peter flies off the hinge. You don't want to be around. There might be a fish hook flying around or whatever they were they were using. You know, the net's going out and he's mad because he hasn't caught whatever it is. You know, Peter would have been the guy to lose it, right? And here he is, and he wants to defend Christ because he said, no, I'll die with you. And Jesus told him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. So here he is. Peter putting his money where his mouth is at first because Jesus is with him, right? We've talked about this. While Jesus is with him, he's bold. It's when Jesus isn't physically there when Peter is just weak. <clears throat> so he pulls out this, this sword and Jesus, and he chops off this guy's ear and, and Jesus rebukes him and refocuses Peter on the will of the Father. Matthew 26 gives us some insight uh, a little bit more here. 26 verses 53 and 54 says, Or do you not think, Jesus saying, Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How, uh, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? And 56 of Matthew 26 says this, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So a little bit more of, a, of a, what we're seeing here. Peter draws that out. Jesus says, no, what are you doing? Uh, this, is, this is what I'm, I'm here to do. And Jesus had, had prepared them for this moment. They had heard that it was going to happen. He had prayed for them. Now it's happening. And the Lord has to tell Peter, Luke 22, verse 51. But Jesus answered and told them, permit even this. And he touched his, he ear, his ear and, and healed him. That when this happened, when Peter chops off this guy's ear, Jesus has rebuked Peter and said, put your sword away. Permit, it, permit even this. And he touches the guy's ear and restores his ear. What did that do to Malchus? Like, I would love to know what happened to Malchus after that. You know, that, that could be a powerful uh, a statement, you know. Uh, talk about a song that you could write, a book you could write. I remember when I went out with all this mob 
and somebody chopped off my ear, and the guy that we went to get touched my ear and made it well again. What happened to Malchus? I don't know. Think of, so what we see here, Peter grabbing the sword, chopping his ear off, Jesus telling him, put your sword away, permit even this, heals the guy, right? The mob that just witnessed a miracle is still after Jesus. They had just watched this man's ear be healed right in front of them. They're still about their business. And I think what might have had, this is, uh, I'm not trying to get extra biblical or anything, but I wonder if the religious leaders tried to draw everybody's attention away from the miracle. They said, so, what are you guys all standing around with? Pick your jaw up off the ground. What are you doing? We're all here to get him. Maybe. I don't know. Because they still took him away, didn't they? Another, you've heard me say this before, but seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. It's not. Judas saw a whole lot. Judas witnessed a lot, right? He heard a lot. He didn't believe. These guys just watched one of the mob. You know, he comes up and he just gets his ear chopped off and, and Jesus just reaches out and says, no, 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 no. no. Heals, his, heals his ear. I imagine that he might have put his hands right out after that. Let's go, guys. They're still ready to take him away. They had just seen the miracle. In our hearts, if, if uh, my encouragement to you is if you're waiting for a miracle to, to commit to Christ, the miracle is that Christ loves you. He loves me. He loves any of us sinners. Are we still going to sin after we accept him? Unfortunately, yes. We're still going to fall. We're still going to stumble. God's there faithful to stand us up. Hopefully the falling and the stumbling reduces as we walk, right? As, as the Lord has his, and his word has that sanctifying work and, he's, and that, that constant sanctification that's happening. That when the scripture says you're being sanctified, right? We're being uh, just, these things are getting removed from our lives. This junk is being ripped from our lives. That's keeping us from walking, right? These guys all saw this. Yet they still didn't believe in Christ. They didn't have a, a, a believing faith in Christ. They were still ready to arrest him. If you're frustrated in, uh, in ministering, and like, I don't understand how they can't see this. You know, I've sat down and I've prayed with them, and for hours and hours and hours I've poured out, and I've, I've explained the scriptures and all these things, and there's still that veil. Prayer is where that battle is won. Because we can do everything we can in our own strength. Oh, I'm going to get him with this one. Oh, I got this one. I got this one out. Nope, not unless the Lord might just be calling you to be the one chucking the seed out. Or you might be the one coming by with a little seed waterer and watering that seed. But it's the Lord that causes the growth. You know, so we don't know. Don't say, oh, I, uh, I witnessed that recently. I know of a brother that's been faithfully witnessing to somebody. And then um, I don't know if he heard from the Lord to move on or what. But that, that individual said, yeah, they don't come to me anymore. And I think they went to them purposely for that. Maybe you're not the one to lead them to Christ. You're not going to be the one to put your hand on their shoulder and lead them to. But we can't force somebody to believe. We can't. I mean, somebody could be forced to say something. You know, you, you could threaten somebody's life and say, you're going to do this or, 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 or else, right? It, you know, it could be a kid. It could be whatever. 
if the Lord hasn't transformed their heart, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. These people just watched a man's ear get cut off and Jesus reach out and touch his, his ear and make it whole again. And they still took him away. Seeing isn't believing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God is what the scripture tells us, right? That's how faith is built. If we see, remember, Jesus said that a wicked, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Because what happens at the point where there's a sign is then there has to be the next sign. There has to be the next thing, the next big thing, the next big thing, the next. And, and that person gets his status. Okay, this excitement's here. And uh, you know, I've heard of people coming out of the prosperity uh, doctrine saying, well, if you're not going from mountaintop to mountaintop, then you're, you're not walking with the Lord properly. And, and, and there's sin in your life and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. That's wrong. Okay, look at the scripture and look at how some of these, uh, how some of the uh, um, prophets were, were treated. Okay, so that when they got thrown out, when they got killed, uh, so they they just they were sinners. They didn't they didn't have the fancy car and the fancy house and those things. That's junk. Whatever whatever that message is, mountaintop to mountaintop. And if you're not if you're having any struggle in your life, that's because of this and that and the other thing. No. No, the Lord, we grow through trials. You know, I, I remember, you know, I've been told before, don't pray for patience. Don't do it, right? That fear, don't pray for patience because what's going to happen is a trial that comes right after it, right? If you want to be stronger, you want you know, those things, you got to get shoved in the fire, right? If God's the one shoving me in the fire, then it may not be fun, but I trust him to pull me out and to shape me into what he's going to. You know, pray for patience. Pray for, why would we not pray for a fruit of the Spirit? Anybody says that to you, be like, no, no, that's not, that's not scriptural. You know, we don't have to get argumentative with them and get all offended. But I, I just tell you, you know, pray, pray for, for patience. I, I don't remember where we are. Verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of, uh, of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So, you know, they arrest and uh, they arrest him. And, and it's I have to be I'm convinced that the arresting and the binding was only Jesus allowed that just to make them feel safe. Like these these guys have all fallen all over each other and everything. It's not like those the, the whatever they used to bound him actually held him there. I mean, the guy just healed somebody's ear right there. They're so afraid of him that when he speaks, they're falling over. So Jesus lets them bind him. You know, he wasn't bound by their power. And Jesus was bound by the will of the Father, right? That's, that, that was Jesus bound himself to the will of the Father. And he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. He submitted himself to the, uh, to the will of his Father. And he, he laid down his will and went with the mob. And uh, unfortunately, he went, I mean, fortunately for us, but, you know, it meant he was going to the cross for us. But he had the mindset, not my will be done, but yours be done. Verse 13. And they led him away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man 
should die for the people. So Jesus gets led away, and uh, we, uh, when we finished, uh, we spent a good deal of time talking about the mock trial that Jesus uh, went through, that there were, there were so many laws broken and uh, in, in how Jesus was was tried in front of these, that he was tried at night, uh, that, that for somebody to be executed on the same day. Though there's so much there that they broke, that they did wrong. So here they are. They're bringing him to Annas. And he's led there, and he's the father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. And uh, he's in a very serious uh, position in ministry, and and when you understand that Annas, as the former high priest, he was the one that would represent the nation of Israel to God and God to the nation of Israel. He's in a very, uh, very high religious uh, position to be in. That he was the one that on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he would go in and offer an, a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies that could only be uh, entered on Yom Kippur that day of atonement, only the high priest could go in and offer a sacrifice for all of Israel, that they could go in one day a year into that holy of holies and, and go into the presence of the Lord. So that, that person was highly revered. So he's not even the current high priest, but because he's the father-in-law and the former one, they take him there first. We understand that uh, Caiaphas, speaking of Caiaphas, because he's mentioned here, he told the religious leaders in John 11 that it would be better for one to die. And we'll get into that right now. The, you know, the leaders were all meeting and they're trying to figure out what do we do with Jesus? So we're, we're rewinding a little bit to John 11. What do we do with this guy? You know, everybody's following him and he's working many signs and they were fearful that Rome would get tired of him and they would come and uh, take away their place in their nation, they said. So they were worried also about their power. And uh, in John 11, verses 49 through 53, it says, And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, this he did not say on his own authority, but... Being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not that the nation only, but also he would gather together in one, all the, ch uh, in one, uh, the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted uh, to put him to death. So this man, even though uh, Caiaphas is, is uh, Annas and Caiaphas are involved in this mock trial and, and uh, they're doing things that aren't legal, even by their own uh, laws. Uh, what we see here is that John in John 11, he was used by God because of the position he held as high priest, that he still was able uh, to prophesy. And it wasn't because his heart was submitted to the Lord. But God still used him. God is in control, not Caiaphas. He's the high priest, but God worked and, and even spoke right through him. That's 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 an interesting thing to uh, to uh, meditate on. Verse fifteen, and Simon followed Jesus. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside, 
Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her, who kept the door, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals there, uh, coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So starting in verse 15, the focus now shifts to Peter and John. And uh, uh, he, John is, uh, when, when it says that, uh, and another disciple, or John would also uh, identify himself as the one, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He would always talk about himself in a different person. And uh, so he, he, he threw out the scripture. So it's Peter and John. And, uh, you know, John knew Caiaphas personally. And because he was known, he was somehow allowed access to the courtyard of the high priest. And uh, he goes to get Peter, who was outside the door. So when he goes to get Peter, the little girl that's watching the door says, wait a minute. Aren't you one of his followers? She recognized Peter. Remember, Peter had just boldly defended Jesus in front of a mob. This is an armed mob. As long as Jesus is right there with him, then Peter had all the boldness in the world. Jesus is gone. And now he's afraid of a little girl that's watching the door. That's crazy. A guy that had just chopped off an armed man's ear. Now he's afraid of this little girl. Shh, no, I don't know him. I have to imagine he wasn't saying that very loud. Nope. Don't know him. Peter's afraid of, and he finds himself now. He had just denied Jesus the first time, and now he's standing there in the camp of the enemies warming by the fire. That's crazy. No doubt, head down. <laughs> no doubt, okay, hopefully nobody notices me. And we'll see by the time when we get uh, further along, you know, that uh, there's some quite more questions asked. Verse 19, then the high priest then asked Jesus, focus back to Jesus, about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck him, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Then Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? So Annas is still being respected here, and uh, he's now questioning Jesus. And, and Jesus' question regarding his disciples and his doctrine, it says. And Jesus points to his word and to his ministry in his defense. He's like, I didn't do anything in private, so what are we doing here? That None of this should be a shock. And he, he's, he's, when Jesus has these conversations, he's actually drawing confessions out of people. It's 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 quite amazing. So he he says, you know, he's calling them out, and uh, he's he's saying that you know I did all these things in public, and here you are, and you're asking me, and then he gets struck in the face by one of the officers. 
I wonder what the, the look was when Jesus looked back at him and had that to say. If I've done evil, but if well, why do you strike me? So he verbally puts the officer uh, in his place with reasoning. Verse 24, Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Second denial. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off. <laughs> the chances, right? Wait a minute, I just saw you chop off my cousin's ear. I know that was you, right? I mean, a different wording, I understand this. But he, and he says, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Three times, the little girl, then he's standing by the fire, warming with those who had just taken Jesus, trying to hide. Nope, it's not me. Guy's like, dude, I, I think we've all been in situations where you're going, I'm never going to forget that person's face when I witness this, right? How often do we watch somebody chop somebody's ear off? You think you might remember that dude's face? Yeah. That's going to stay in your mind, right? No matter what Peter's trying to do to cover up who he is, they're like, uh-uh, you're the guy that chopped Malchus's ear off. Where's Malchus? Doesn't say. And we don't know, we don't know where Malchus is. I'm this is just my personal opinion. I think Malchus might have gone home. I think I just personally, I think Malchus went home and was like, I I just have to believe in my heart. This is my personal belief, is that he went home and had some time of reflection. And now his cousin's sitting there. He's not standing there with his cousin, right? Because if something like that happens, I'm going to go to somebody I know really well and be like, dude, did you see that? That dude chopped my ear off. And then this other guy heals my ear. You know, you're going to have that conversation. And you're probably going to have that with your closest friends, right? Your, your relative or whatever. This guy's like, no, you're the, I remember that face. I'm not going to forget that face. You know, there are things that have happened in our lives where we're like, I will never forget that. This was one of them. We don't often see somebody's ear get chopped off and somebody, you know, just restoring that ear. So this was something powerful. And Peter says, nope, wasn't me. And the rooster crowed. Another gospel account says that they locked eyes. That Peter, that Jesus looked over. And, and that's, oh, that, that'll, that'll bring anybody to tears. So what we're witnessing now is the lowest point in Peter's life. He's in enemy territory, warming with the enemy. And uh, the guy that he, you know, he, he had just pulled out his sword to fight them. And now he's in secret trying to hide. And they recognize him. And he gets called out by Malchus's uh, relative. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, as we're looking here and we see the third denial and the rooster crowed, we can get to a point where we're like, how could, Jesus told him he was going to do it. You know, he should have known better. You know, we can look judgmentally on Peter and we can go, oh, yeah, look at this guy. This is like, can you imagine the worst, the lowest point of your life being written down for everybody to see? That's horrifying. Horrifying. Church tradition says that where Peter went ministering, there would be people uh, mocking him. 
You know, making noises. You talk about that, right? That's crazy. Calling out, mocking him. His lowest point. Imagine your lowest point being plastered. 2,000 years later, people are talking about your lowest point. I know now, we know that Peter would want us to know that. Because what did it do? What happened later? Jesus took that failure and restored. He failed. For, he, he denied him three times. He's restored three times. It's to God's glory, isn't it? That's just what God wants to do in our lives. This is this guy's lowest point. He was, he was so bold with Jesus as soon as Jesus was gone. Can you imagine how heavy his heart was? You know, there, there are some, we don't really know the, the saying where it came from, but when they say petered out, they petered out. You know, some say it could have been this, that they petered out. Peter did not peter out. Peter did not do that. He denied, but he got restored, and then he died for his faith. So if anybody brings that up as, oh, yeah, he petered out, correct him. <laughs> oh, so he was, okay, so this, this person got crucified for his faith. Okay, gotcha. You know, no, no, Peter, this is the lowest part for him. You know, this was a man that, that loved Jesus. He was in that inner circle, right, Peter, James, and John. You know, he had seen some crazy stuff when Jesus wasn't there. Remember what happened to him when he took his eyes off? Just took his eyes off Jesus. He had been walking on the water. Takes his eyes away, sinking instantly. Jesus isn't there. That's where that's where Peter Peter needed to understand faith. That when Jesus wasn't there standing with him, that he can still be bold and strong in Christ. He gets that when he gets the power, when the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out upon his life. Then we see him rejoicing that he just got beat for Jesus' name, right? We see that when we get into Acts. We're fast-forwarding a little bit, but that's what we see happen in Peter's life. Jesus told him it was going to happen, and he prepared him for the failure. Grace is the difference, though. <clears throat> when he understood, when, when Jesus came and in his grace restored Peter. Oh, this is written down here that we can learn more about ourselves too. That's another reason it is written down, that we can learn about it. We can have that boldness in our heart. Oh, I would never. Okay, <laughs> careful. Careful. I think many of us can relate very strongly to Peter. Very strongly. I've, I remember I made this bold statement. I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to do that again. That night, woof, nosedive. Right? Oh. We're, uh, we're going to end there for today. We're going to pick up in verse 28 next week. I don't want to fly through any of this. We just know that what's happening here is the fake trial is continuing, and then we're going to see that he gets delivered to Pilate, and then there's an interaction between the Lord and Pilate. Read ahead, please. Um, there's an interaction between the Lord and Pilate, and then Pilate and the mob, and then the, the mob wins Pilate over because of fear they've instilled in him, and then the Lord's led away to be crucified. And so we'll pick up in verse 28 when the sham of a trial continues. 
Would you all stand with me and we'll pray? Lord, we thank you for your redemption. When we can see in the life of Peter somebody so bold to go against a mob, knowing that you're there with him. But when we in our lives have convinced ourselves that you might not be right there, we're going to get scared or we're going to fail. We're going to do those things that we said we never do. Lord, may it not be so in our lives that we would, as we sang earlier, that we would walk by faith even when we can't see. Lord, let your Holy Spirit minister to us. If there are things that we're holding on to in our hearts and in our lives that are keeping us from growing, maturing in our walk, growing in our faith, Lord, peel our hands away from it. Your loving hand, just start taking our hand away from that which is hurting us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the redemption that we know came to Peter. We know this isn't the end of the story for him, but that we can learn about ourselves. We can learn about your love. So much for us to learn here. We know that you go before us that you intercede for us because you love us. And we thank you for that. We're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.